he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast, episode 11. I am your beta host, Jeremy Boyd. And I'm Alex. That's right. Alex, the man of the cloister. (laughs) Sadly, our mega host, Ben, is not here this week. He is busy working. Still working. Still working. He hasn't stopped since last week. Just delivering those packages. Did we mention to our listeners that he actually (laughs) delivered a package to me while we were podcasting? (laughs) During the podcast on work. (laughs) And we didn't have the courtesy to let him in. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we had our headphones on. We couldn't uh, That's true. Yeah, and when we say we're in the studio, what we mean is Alex's basement. Yeah. Um, This isn't, it's not like we're in some underground studio bunker, uh, you know, deep beneath Peterborough City Hall or something like that. No. No. We're in the basement. And again, we are in our nice comfy chairs. I'm on a really deep, deep cushy couch. And Alex is in a nice rocky chair. So Lazy boy. Lazy boy. (laughs) That's right. So talking about rest, <laughs> talking about rest. That's right. We've kind of been following this thread, uh, having this conversation. And last week we talked about work, and you can't talk about work unless you're talking about rest. And yeah, of course we get that from uh, our biblical categories of creation. Yeah, and uh, you know God worked for six days to create, and on the seventh day He rested. Mm-hmm. And that's our pattern for our work week, and it's. Also, like many things uh, in Scripture in the Old Testament, is pointing to something in the future. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about physical rest as well and yeah. the necessity for for that uh, on a very practical level. Yeah. Uh, but there's also spiritual truths that we're going to be teasing out as we get going. So yeah. I don't know. What's the first thing you wanted to really dive into here? Well, I, I think... I'm glad that you suggested we do a follow up on this because last week one of the you know one of the issues we were wanting to address is the idea um especially in a pandemic and the lockdown when you're not allowed to work you're forbidden from it uh we want to think through biblically the importance of work and it's it's nature uh, in relation to human nature mm-hmm. and it's central to human flourishing and why that is um, it's not just a pragmatic way of getting money, although it is God's ordained means of providing. Um, you know, there's more to it than that. And when we can't work, when we're forbidden from it, uh, we suffer for it. And not just because we don't get money, but the inability to actually give ourselves to meaningful work is a, is very dehumanizing. Hmm. But and, uh, Sorry, I guess nope, i stop go and ask you a question here before we go any, go any further. Yeah. Do you think um, forbidding work also destroys the ability to rest. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, you when you are not able to uh, fulfill your God-given purpose, when you're not able to take up the burden of your responsibilities, you're, all, you're left with a feeling of guilt and shame and anxiety over those things, right? And uh, you can't feel good about just receiving a check, for example, at the end of the month. Now, of course, what I'm not trying to say is those who have been forced by law not to work can't receive you know you know money for that um that's that's not their fault is what i'm trying to say but yes yeah when you can't work you also can't rest yeah. and and that's kind of the segue to this week is 
Um, it's not only that people, we have this kind of dual problem where people have a huge problem with work. You know, everyone's trying to retire early. Um, we don't really think, no one talks about the indignity of losing your work at this time. As long mm-hmm. as we cut them checks, it's all good, uh, it says the materialist, the secular humanist. But we also want to say there's a dual problem of workaholism. Yeah, There's a problem of like work is my soul identity. You know, not turning the phone off at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're constantly in communication with coworkers and bosses. And yes. Does the work stop when I get home yes. from my family? Or Yes. Yeah. And so it's not as though it's wrong for people to long for retirement in that, to long from the toil, to freedom from the toil of their work. I mean, Genesis 3 clearly says that Adam's vocation, his uh, exercise of dominion would be cursed. Mm. And that curse involved his central task of work being difficult, subject to futility um, by the sweat of your brow. Always be a mingling of sin with the work, right? The the ground is going to not only bring forth crops that you can eat, but thistles and thorns and and that sort of thing. Never is never a pure work experience. Exactly. And so the human desire for rest is not a wrong thing because God worked for seven days and then he rested and he created us as creatures to need rest. So yes, we need meaningful work. We were created for that, but we were created for rest. Um, I'll just read Genesis 2, 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so rest, just like work, is not a bad thing. Rest is not equivalent to laziness or something like that. Um, And we're going to maybe work through the scripture a bit of what that rest actually means. But we just want to acknowledge uh, rest is good. Yeah. And there's a wrong way of thinking about work that that thinks rest is wrong, mm-hmm. that lives with work as an idol. Um, I mean, we were given, uh, the Sabbath was given to the people of Israel and in remembrance of the, the fact that the Lord worked for six days and rested. And it's a day that to be consecrated to him in a particular way. Yeah. And one of the ways we consecrate a day to God is we actually stop working. And we stop giving our time and our attention and our focus to our task. And we remember that, no, we are not the creators of the universe. We are not the ultimate providers. God is. Mm. And he has created us. And he has created us for work, but he's also created us for rest. Mm. And when we take that time, take that day, we are living uh, as creatures with with finite capacities. Mm-hmm. And in a world that rejects God and makes us all gods, I mean, you you have to live as though you are one, that you have limitless capacity for work and you don't need any rest. And Um, that's dangerous too. uh, We're currently going through Exodus uh, at Westmount for our Sunday morning sermon series. And uh, something you said just uh, triggered the thought uh, of a few weeks ago, or actually shortly going to be coming up on the the story of the manna, the bread from heaven, right? And they were to gather it uh, every day, except for on the Sabbath. 
Yes. And uh, you, you're talking about provision and just constantly being reminded that it's God that provides our needs. Yes. And that's, uh, you know, so they, were, they weren't to gather more than they needed for each exactly. day. You work for each day. And then on uh, Friday before the Sabbath, yeah. you gather twice as much. Yes. And it doesn't run out. Yeah. You're not allowed to go out on the Sabbath, but no. you have to trust that it's going to last uh, that'll last you through the Sabbath. Yes. There's so many illusions like that. And yeah, it, it is. It's a reminder of our finitude and of our dependence on the yes. Creator. And it's not meant to be. People think you might, not having a, bi- a biblical view of this, a biblical theology of rest and Sabbath, and uh, you might just pick up the story of this, the, the Israelites' practice of a Sabbath and think, oh, this is a simply a burdensome set of commands. Mm-hmm. But Jesus clears the air and said, look, man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for the man, yeah. for their good and flourishing. Mm-hmm. And it's not meant to be something that is a... Um, an affliction. An affliction and and a sell for us mm. uh, to imprison us. It's meant to free us yeah. from our enslavement to our labor, from our enslavement to our God complex, from our fear of what's going to happen, to remind ourselves in a very tangible way to practice habitually trust in God. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you mm. know, our culture currently, Canada, historically... Um, works around a, a one-day Sabbath, you know, and regardless of your theological positions and whether it needs to be eight that day, um, it's been a good thing for society that, generally speaking, non-essential businesses, and we mean the original non-essential businesses, yeah, not every business. <laughs> we yeah. mean everything you don't need to live, um, you know, generally closes down. Mm-hmm. And people take a break, and you're allowed to spend a day with your family. And employers don't expect you to be at work that day. Yeah. And yeah, that's been a good thing. So we yeah. do need to think through rest as much as we need to think through work. And I think as the culture has lost that sense of a, a, a day being set aside, whether it was specifically in their minds being set aside to God or just being set aside for family and, and rest and those yeah. things. As the culture's lost that, now it's expected if you get a job, you're probably going to have to work on the weekend or on yeah. Sunday. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, that's employers expecting something of people that they shouldn't, shouldn't be. Yeah. Right? Well, even we know, even more generally, how important habits and routine and rhythms are to your life. And here we have six days and rest. And um, that's just good for your your mental health, your sleep cycle. Basically, we're, it's good for all of humanity. The way mm-hmm. that God designed things is for our good. And so... Imagine that. Yeah, imagine <laughs> that, right? Yeah. And then look at people now. You're on shift, lots of shift work, yep. lots of on-call work, lots of sporadic... Uh, schedules kind of thing. Lots of, oh, you have a cell phone now. Yeah. Uh, start the bl- Oh, they got Blackberries. Oh, you can take email after hours. Oh, you're kind of really, you're on call oh, all yeah. the time. You don't have to work when you get home. But if you don't, you're going to fall behind and somebody else is going to take your position. Yeah. Right. And, and we all know <laughs> that this has not been good for people. Yeah. Uh, it has allowed for us to be productive in some ways and terribly unproductive in other ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe we could step back a bit. So God, God, 
worked and then rested. And he um, rested from his work of creation. The creation was good. And he wasn't creating anymore. And now he upholds creation. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It says in the New Testament, by the word of his power. But he's not hes not uh, doing that same work out of nothing kind yep. of thing. Um, now there's the new creation and there's us who the same God who spoke creation into existence has called us into existence. Um, so God's still working in that sense. But we continue on and we see that he gives the ordinance to Israel, the Sabbath, one day a week. and uh, But even there in the Old Testament, um, God's purpose for rest was not fully fulfilled in and reduced to that day. That it was still looking forward and anticipating a greater final rest. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe we could just read Hebrews 4, yeah, uh, the 1 to 13. There's a lot in there, but we could maybe parse some of that out. But what we'll see if you listen while we read, maybe you could read it, Jerry. Yeah, you want me to back into Hebrews 3 a bit as well? Sure, sure. Just work your way through it. But as he reads, listen to the way they talk about rest and how it is something that um, even with the Sabbath command, Israel still looked forward to and perhaps didn't attain. And even for us who who believed and have entered God's rest, still strive to enter the rest. So yeah, feel free to, to read that and we'll kind of hang okay. out there for a bit. I'm going to start... Um, I'm going to start in chapter 3, verse 7. It's not a long chapter. So. Great. Okay. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart as they have known as they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So that just gets us to the end of three there. And um, I would initially point out that the contrast is rest and not entering that rest and disobedience. Unbelief. Yeah, unbelief. And disobedience. Yeah. The same two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And so the, they weren't listening to what God said. And because of their unbelief, which was evidenced by their disobedience, they didn't rest. Mm-hmm. And kind of the inference is it's through faith, evidenced in obedience, that we yeah. enter God's rest. And, uh, of course, the rest talking about here is the rest of entering the promised land. Yes, the immediate so context. So they're, they're living in the wilderness. Uh, it's it's a hard, yeah. dry Yes hot place, right? Yeah. And so but, and it's important to note they had the Sabbath at this point. Yes. And so it's even then 
rest was not confined to the Sabbath ordinance. Mm -hmm. The Sabbath ordinance was a reflection of that, an embodiment of Mm -hmm. that, Um, but it wasn't the fulfillment of all that the rest of God was to be for the people of God. No, and you see that even in the, uh, the laws for letting fields rest, or the year of Jubilee. Right. Right. Those are extensions of the Sabbath in yes. a sense, right? So every seventh year you were to let your land lay yeah. fallow. Uh, and uh, every seventh, seventh, yes. you know, the, the slaves go free and all of that sort of thing. Yes. And so there was an extension of that rest principle into further yes. into the law. Yeah. Good observation. And they talk about Sabbaths pure, plural in multiple yeah. places as well. Yeah. So. Hmm. Okay. So carrying on with chapter four now. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Uh, uh, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Can we stop there for a second? Yes. So now he's saying that the rest that initially was referring to the promised land mm. now is available to us. And it's not the promised land. Um, it's not. It's not a portion of the Middle East somewhere. It's bigger than that, and uh, it would. It's the new creation, and it's through the preaching of the good news that the, it has mm-hmm. come to us. So now it's not just God's voice, generally speaking, but it's actually the good news, the gospel that is preached to us that we now must believe in order to enter God's rest. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to pause there. Yeah. So verse three, for we who have believed enter that rest. Uh, As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying, Through David, so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Yes. So this is, Joshua is the one that ended up leading them into the promised land. Yes. And the author of Hebrews is saying that's not the rest that's that not God rest. was talking about. Yes, that's obviously a fulfillment of that in yeah. the very literal sense. Yeah, but there was a greater fulfillment. Yes. So verse nine will carry on. So then there there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Did you want to comment on that before we go any further? Yeah. Well, the works that he's talking about. Um, uh, one one commentator said godly exertions against sin and opposition and for for us and um it's not like works of legalism or something like that works to earn our salvation um it just what was the definition you gave a couple seconds ago works of godly exertions against okay. sin and opposition and that's the definition you would you would use for that yeah like yeah. that's the works that's going to right. seize and um, yeah, and that's the rest that God promises, and that's that's the undoing of the curse of Genesis right, three. Right, it's the the yeah, that's that's what I would say. Okay, carrying on at uh, verse eleven. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, 
so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Mm-hmm. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed mm-hmm. to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Mm-hmm. It's such a loaded passage. But oh, yeah. a, a couple things we can draw on is that there's a sense in which not only is the rest clearly not fully fulfilled in entering the promised land, he clearly says that, there's a rest that remains, even when we become Christians and we do enter that rest through faith, we have entered it, it says, there's a striving for and a longing for that rest. Mm-hmm. There's a already and a not yet. And this is the pattern of the New Testament in so many things. We are those who um, have been saved and yep. are being saved. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Yes, and yeah. the kingdom of God will come. Yeah. And those who have been sanctified and are being sanctified, there's a definitive, those you know who are new creation, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, and yet we long for and wait for the fullness of the new creation to come. We are just the first fruits of that, right? The beginning of it. Um, so there's a tension even in rest that, has, that, that follows the same trajectory. So the question is, what sense have Christians entered that rest now? And in what sense will that come to its completion of the new heavens, new earth, of the kingdom of God in its fullness? And um, in a very real sense, uh, our labor against sin and toil is totally transformed by the gospel. And one, because we actually have power. Uh, sin will have no dominion over you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're. It's a. It's a. It's one thing to do work that's hard, but you will be successful in. And it's another to essentially be giving a uh, you know a pickaxe and told to like get through the Rockies. It's like it's you can't. It's not actually possible, mm-hmm. and you can't work your way out of sin. You you can't work your way up the mountain of righteousness. You you just can't. Uh, you can't, it's an impossible burden. Yeah. And the devil is in control of us. We've been enslaved by him. And any attempt to resist and overcome is just futility. But when we become Christians, even though the power of sin is broken, you are not under sin's dominion. Do not submit to it. Um, you, we still have to consider ourselves dead to sin, yeah. Romans 6. Yeah. So we're still, we still do have labor. And we have to resist the devil that he would flee from mm-hmm. us. And it is real work, but it's it's work that is um, resting in the work of Christ. It's work that can ultimately be fruitful because Christ has already defeated our great enemies. Right. And it's this work- is the distinction of the uh, the building made of precious metals or straw. Yeah. Right. This is talking about the work of specifically of the elders in the church that their works are going to be tested. Yes. um, By fire in the end. But that, I think there's a sense where that's all of our labor is going to be put to that test. Yes. uh, In the end. Yeah. What was done by faith Mm -hmm. and not, or not. And, and what we have to look forward to in the new creation, which is way better than retirement is that one day we're actually going to be free from the need to resist sin because we'll be freed from sin's presence, not just its power, but its very presence. 
will be freed from the the need to work against uh, temptation and the devil because we actually will be told he will be destroyed. Yeah. And that's going to be a, I mean, we don't even know. I'm smiling. If the, can you see me smiling? If you're listening to this, <laughs> I'm just smiling. I can, I can hear it in your it. voice. <laughs> yeah, we can't even comprehend how good that's going to be. How good it's going to be. And I think this is uh, the aspect of this that's hardest for us to understand. Yeah. Um, and it's for me, it's the idea of the joy that's going to accompany yeah. all the things that right now are burdensome. Yes. So like work is uh, like we talked about last week it's fulfilling it can give us a sense of purpose but it's still mingled with yeah. with the old self with the sin nature yeah can you imagine working with just nothing but pure joy yeah where the elements aren't fighting you yes uh, you're you know you're dealing with a redeemed creation yeah i can't i really can't but we get to we get hints of that all through, and we were talking before before we started, and just all the imagery in the Old Testament of uh, wine, you know, that gladness, um, the oil running down Aaron's beard, like all this imagery of, of joy, and I just think that that's, that's going to be uh, the one thing that comes to comes to comes to fruition in the new heavens and new earth that we just can't understand right now. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're going to read a text, but one that's coming to my mind to make a kind of a practical application. Um, work at your salvation with fear and trembling. Mm. Yeah. Um, Philippians 2.12. I just want to go there for a second sure. because um, having a biblical understanding of the rest that God actually offers sets us free from pursuing that rest in the wrong place. Mm. Because... Hundred percent. It's not. It's not wrong that you have an impulse to not toil under the dominion of sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we weren't created for that, and it's a curse, and it's awful. But seeking to get around it by Jimmy rigging creation, you know, um, that's that's a way of the fool. You know, trying to make quick money. You know, using people to make money, finding stepping on people, finding a way around a difficult life through riches and power, for example. Uh, ultimately will come to an end. But look at 2.12 says, um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And the work of God in our life and the work of God that will ultimately give us rest is actually motivation for the work that we do now. So think of it like this. You know, um, if you have coming up on the weekend you have a cottage getaway or something like that. Thinking about that coming up, I've found helps you so much in that week. It's like, I got something awesome coming. Mm -hmm. I got a great weekend coming. As bad as this work week is, I don't even care because as soon as I punch the clock at this time, we're, we're heading out to the wilderness or I'm hanging out with my buddies or we're visiting family or something. And we ought to view God's promise of rest in that way. We ought to view, um, God's promise that one day our work won't be filled with toil and sorrow and misery and difficulty mm. is very encouraging and fill us with a sense of hope and motivation now. Yeah. And when you don't have that, and think about this too, when you have no prospect of when are you getting a break, it actually ruins every moment of your labor. 
and you end up always looking for one. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But it's like, no, I know that my, or have you ever worked for an employer who um, you don't know when he's going to give you a, a break? You're kind of, it's kind of like always in the back of your mind. Yeah. When you're like, you know what, 10, 15, I'm going to be able to grab a coffee and use a washroom. I'm cool. I don't need to think about it. Yeah. I can just focus on the task, get to work. But it's like, man, this guy didn't even let me have lunch yesterday. Like, it's just distracting, mm-hmm. you know? And that makes me think of, you know, people without the Christian worldview, people that are uh, in Adam, as we would say. Yeah. Working their whole lives for what? Yeah. You're talking about a greater purpose. Like, yeah. we, have, we have a hope. Yes. Beyond the grave. Yeah. If you don't have that, that's got to be, that's just got to be crushingly depressing. Yeah. I don't know how people could deal with that. And I mean, that's why I guess you see so many people burn out. Uh, they're trying to make their money by the time they're 50 so they can still, you know, enjoy the lust of the flesh while they're, you know, before they're too old. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have it's just, it's depressing even thinking about yeah. that. Um, so one of the ways, again, another application is having a trust that God is the one who creates and sustains the world, who provides for our needs, who knows us and loves us, um, helps us to, to really rest in, in a physical sense, physical sleep, uh, which is a reflection of our hearts as well. We read in Psalm 127, this is my life first, because I struggle with this. Everything we're talking about tonight, I suck at. Um, <laughs> it's a therapy session yeah. for you? Yeah. <laughs> Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Look, our labor in our own strength and by ourselves is, is futility. Yeah. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go to... Go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. So you work and work and work and work and work and watch. Um, But if God is not the one behind this, empowering this, providing for this, protecting this, it could all come to nothing in a second. Hmm. It's, It's that kind of... And living as though God doesn't exist and not depending on his strength and provision and acknowledging your limitations and taking on the burden of divinity um, is produces anxiety. It is anxious toil and is misery. But he contrasts that with the way of the Lord and uh, his nature. He says, for he gives his beloved sleep. Hmm. And I remember my grandpa's funeral, someone made the comment, Someone's telling a story about him. He used to be able to sit. He'd come over, he'd work construction. He'd come home and lunch for lunch. He could have like a power nap for like five to 15 minutes at the kitchen table. He could be like done his lunch and then just kind of put his yeah. head on his thing and <laughs> for 10 minutes and get up. And he he made a comment about it. It's, a, uh, it's evidence of a clear conscience. It is, yeah. And I actually believe that. Yep. Um, it, it's a man who's just trusting in God and he's working as hard as he can, uh, but he's not doing so as if he is God. Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference. And that's just, that's hard. I struggle with that. I have the hardest time resting when I know I haven't been working properly. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it's Sunday afternoon, you're done church. Um, you just want to take the day, give it to the Lord, you know, read some books, relax, spend some time in the family. Yeah. And you can't do it 
because you feel like you're wasting time because right. you didn't work properly throughout the week. Right. Those are the times I have the hardest time resting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so, I mean, yeah, we do have to give ourselves fully to our work. And what I would struggle with is just that passage is like, but I work as a creature, you know, mm-hmm. not as a creator. I need to work as someone dependent on the Lord, someone who I don't bear God's burdens, you know? And, yeah. uh, and, and um, anxiety is a symptom of an unbelieving age. That's what it is. Um, the Canadian philosopher said that, you know, anxiety will be the symptom of, of the age, the secular age. Mm. I forget who wrote that book. And that's totally true. Oh, yeah. And what, is, what do we see right now? Mass insomnia. You know, mass inability to sleep. You mass, have guilty conscience pharmaceutical, and anxious toil. Yeah. You know, pharmaceutical uh, anxiety medication. Yeah. yeah. The amount of people on anti-anxiety medication is just mind-boggling. Yeah. 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 Whereas when we turn to the Lord, we actually enter into that rest. Yeah. And uh, yeah, may God help us to that end. Well, that's been our truth segment. We actually have all three segments tonight. We've been very neglecting of our work. So we thought we'd get back on the on the wagon tonight. But uh, I've got a, a section for the good from uh, one of C.S. Lewis's um, uh, books on with essays in them. And one of the essays in this book is called Man or Rabbit. And it's basically C.S. Lewis answering the question that people ask whether it's possible to live a good life without being a Christian. So he says this. Um... If Christianity should happen to be true, then it is quite impossible that those who know this truth and those who don't should be equally well equipped for leading a good life. Knowledge of the facts must make a difference to one's actions. Suppose you found a man on the point of starvation and wanted to do the right thing. If you had no knowledge of medical science, you would probably give him a large solid meal and as a result your man would die. That is what comes of working in the dark. In the same way, a Christian and a non-Christian may both wish to do good to their fellow men. The one believes that men are going to live forever, that they were created by God, and so built that they can find only find their true and lasting happiness by being united to God, that they have gone badly off the rails, and that obedient faith in Christ is the only way back. The other believes that men are an accidental result of the blind workings of matter, that they started as mere animals and have more or less steadily improved, that they are going to live about 70 years, that their happiness is fully attainable by good social services and political organizations, and that everything else, for example, vivisection, birth control, the judicial system, and education, is to be judged to be good or bad simply insofar as it helps or hinders that kind of happiness. The Christian and the materialist hold different beliefs about the universe. They can't both be right. The one who is wrong will act in a way which simply doesn't fit the real universe. Consequently, with the best will in the world, he will be helping his fellow creatures to their destruction. Mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis, that's Man or Rabbit from God in the Dock. Excellent book. That's great. Yeah. I had a quote to read from uh, The Pursuit of Holiness. Okay. And this this is an incredible little book. I would commend it to everyone. It's very short chapters. We're talking like five pages chapters. 
And this is, it's, it's about how we grow in holiness. And this chapter is on habits. And I found this enormously helpful. Um, he quotes Owen here and he says, the third principle is that diligence in all areas is required to ensure success in one area. Owen said, without a sincere and diligent effort in every area of obedience, there will be no successful mortification in any one besetting sin. We may feel that a particular habit isn't too bad, but continually giving into that habit weakens our wills against the onslaughts of temptation from other directions. This is the reason, for example, that it is so important for us to develop habits of self-control over our physical appetites. We may think indulging these appetites isn't so bad, but such indulgence weakens our wills in every other respect to our lives. And I, I found this so helpful because often when we think, Oh, see, I gave into anger. I got I got angry at something overtly. I yelled or cursed or something. Say you do that. Someone says that. We often think the battle is to not do that. But really the battle is 10 steps before when you entertain irritable thoughts towards people, when you think um, hateful things towards them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, learning to fight the battle while it is kind of winnable, is an important thing. Um, the other thing is if your problem is self-control, like you can't control your tongue, you maybe you need to watch what you eat. Maybe watch when you get up. Where are you, All the areas of your life, there's self-control. Right. It's the same self-control. Yeah. And that was revolutionary for me to hear that. We, I don't know if just in Christian circles, it's like you just think about, I got to not do that. I got to not and do we've that. We've isolated all these areas yeah. from each other. Yeah. yeah, and it's like they're not isolated. Mm-hmm. And I'll close with this. He says, don't be discouraged by failure. There's a vast difference between failing and becoming a failure. We become a failure when we give up, when we stop trying. But as long as we are working on those sinful habits, regardless of how often we fail, we have not become a failure and we can expect to see progress. And just an encouragement to our viewers, you know, and the things that we're talking about that uh, we wage war against the flesh every day and we are Whoever says he's without sin is a liar, and we confess our sins, and we are forgiven, but he also says cleansed, Mm. and we are transformed. And when we, um, by God's grace, put to death the works of the flesh, when we fail and we come to God, he gives us mercy and forgiveness, and failing is not doesn't mean you have to be a failure. Mm. So I just want to encourage people with that. Encourage me. That's That's very encouraging for all of us, I'm sure. Well, this has been episode 11 of the Dominion Podcast. I'm going to leave you with this from Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love.